From the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Hello? Am I dead? Record. Oh, I just remembered a trivia fact I have to tell you about this movie. I'll save it because it's later, but it is so fucking funny. I don't, so. I don't know if I want to hear it. No, you will. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the failed Blockbusters Retrospective here on the Waffle Press Podcast. Season 2. Matt, my co-host, how are we doing in the season? I am the co-host, Matt, and we are. things are going great. Actually, yeah. Pacing wise, I think I think we're we're still ahead of the curve. So we're going up. Nothing can stop us. Yeah, we're recording this later than uh, the next couple episodes you're about to hear. So if we cover any familiar ground in like in weird like, you know, in weird order, just uh, just roll with the punches, okay? We uh, Matt and I tried to find a director's commentary for this movie because of our good friend Dan Doherty. And, Dan Doherty uh, said the director's commentary would be very insightful into the production of of the movie we are here to discuss today. Yes, the the movie is Monkey Bone, directed by Henry Selick, starring Brendan Fraser. Uh, Chris Kattan is on the poster. He's not in it until the significant later part of the film. Mm-hmm. But uh, It's so weird that there was a time where it's like, we have to put Kattan on the poster. Like, we gotta put him, we gotta sell this fucking movie. He you was like the, he, he was one of the breakout guys from fucking, uh, SNL at the time. Yeah, what happened? Um, they didn't know. How, he did Corky Romano, <laughs> mm. which is a, also I think he kind of had like a like a bit of a. I don't want to tell, st- but like people, there's stories of people not liking him from SNL, mm. and him and like Norm didn't get along. But Norm seems to not got along with anyone. <laughs> um, and then he just ends up in like the weird like direct to video circuit. And yeah, I have I don't really know, uh, but like I'll say this: Monkey Bone might be the only movie from his peak that uses him well, which is saying something. I would agree. Do you know but what we, other film he was in? A Night at the Roxbury. I was going to say Food Fight, but yes. Oh, was he in Food Fight? He's in Food Fight. Oh my god, there's a lot of people in Food Fight. Yeah, but, the, the uh, fucking blackmail movie. Every once in a while you get a movie where people are clearly blackmailed into doing. <laughs> it's like Food Fight, Movie 43. Mm-hmm. I met this old couple on the bus one time, and they were like, oh man, you, you, you like movies? I forget what it was, but they were just like, they started a conversation with me. They were nice, they weren't weird, maybe they were, but mm-hmm. they weren't weird to me. And they were like, just, just having conversations, like, oh, you look like a guy who likes movies. And I was like, I do like movies. Like, oh, you gotta watch movie 43, man. It's crazy. And they're the only people on planet Earth who have ever recommended movie 43 to There's gotta else. be a weird, narrow audience for that thing. Yeah, people don't like blackmail. Yeah. Where's the. Alright, I'm gonna challenge you, though. Are we sure Food Fight was blackmail? No. Because. But. Because here's the thing. Like, I, I think that's one of those movies where people go, like, eh, it's a cartoon. How bad could it be? Like, they're gonna pay me to come into a booth for one week. I can do that. And then, like, they don't realize what is being built, you know? Like... I'm sure other people have talked about it, but the, the budget, the alleged budget for Food Fight is over $45 million. Yes. Up to $65 million. That's, That's why all... I consider it blackmail. 
but it was also a movie where like the film got stolen at a certain point like like the hard drives the film was being made on got stolen um what that means is up for interpretation <laughs> but uh yeah it's weird to have a movie where someone just admits that something got stolen and then like by the time it comes out like half the people in it aren't relevant anymore you know like mm-hmm. <laughs> um there's a movie I guess we could do one of these days. No, we're not we're not talking about Fight. We're gonna have to do food fight. There's absolutely no way we're doing food fight. We might have to. There's a reference to the Clive Barker film Nightbreed in Food Fight. That's not true. It is true. I couldn't explain it to you if I wanted to. Well, we're here to talk about Monkey Bone. Yes. That's my segue. Let's just fucking do it. We're From the director boning. of The Nightmare Before Christmas. We're monkey boning it up in here. It's based on something? What the fuck? Alright, so... Without giving away my opinions on Monkey Bone... <laughs> no movie have I wanted to figure out more re- than, than Monkey Bone in recent memory. <laughs> so, it is based on a graphic novel called Dark Town. And graphic novel should be in massive quotes. Because by graphic novel, they mean one issue of a comic that ends on a cliffhanger and was never followed up. What? Yeah, that was published in like 95. It's about a puppeteer who ends up in a coma and uh, is tormented by like other puppets in like a nightmare world. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Other than that very, very vague setup, nothing in Darktown appears in Monkey Bone. So reading, I read it, 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 I got nothing out of it. Monkey Bone is not in the comic. Um, it appears to be an invention of Sam Ham, who we have talked about on the show. That's correct, because mm-hmm. Sam Ham, for those that remember is the writer of the 1989 Tim Burton Batman, the one that's less good than the follow-up Batman Returns, mm-hmm. which he only got story by credit for. And he was a guy, he was hot in Hollywood for a little bit. When it comes to a crashing end at Monkey Bone, it looks like. Um, no, 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 he did an episode of Masters of Horror. He wrote an episode. That's, that's not being in Hollywood, though. I, I know, I know. Um, it's, all, it's all the old geezers yeah. going for one last ride and doing really good work, mostly. Yes, yes. Um, really good work done by people not named John Landis. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Takashi Miike's episode, everyone was like, you can't fucking show this to yeah, the public. It's on cable television, and no one will really complain, but we can't air this. Yeah. <laughs> the episode I have not seen yet, still. Which is saying a lot for a Takashi Miike film. <laughs> he, he does the, the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh... uh what was it? All right. Takashi so, Miike's Monkey Bone. Maybe. But yeah. uh, anyway, Sam Hamm, uh, a lot of the ideas for this movie seem to come from him. Um, but I still, I could not find a through line as to what was going on here. Um, Henry Selleck offered some, but very little explanation <laughs> on the commentary for this movie. Uh... Monkey Bone. It's about 92 minutes and was released 
in 2001. Do you remember any of the marketing for this? I do. I have very vivid memories of the marketing, which is probably the only reason why I really know the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of those movies that, like, in the era of Blockbuster, I remember them there being a lot of monkey bone posters at Blockbuster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. someone somewhere was hoping it would turn into a cult hit. And um, it has maybe happened. I know some people... Some Damn. people really like this movie. Um, not, no, I'm not even trying to in, implicate Dan Doherty there. Uh, I am. <laughs> um, implicate but, sounds like it's a negative thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying well, that. I'm well, just saying, you know. Here's something. Back in the Tumblr days, uh, did you ever have a Tumblr? I definitely um, did have a Tumblr. Um, uh, yeah, and like, I, you know, I felt there was a lot of great art on Tumblr back in the day. I think people forget that. People kind of remember Tumblr for being like a weird drama place, and like, it was more just a great place to share art. Twitter's really bad at that. <laughs> um, if you, you sometimes you'd find artists, and they there were a lot of artists out there that seemed really, really, really fixated on the Miss Kitty character from this film. <laughs> you know what? That makes perfect sense. And it's it 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 was it was a, an awakening for a lot of people. It seems like. <laughs> Um, cause someone's, you know what, I bet you, this is 100% a film, you see a movie titled Monkey Bone, and if you don't pay attention that it's R-rated, I could see a lot of parents accidentally renting this movie for children. And then a lot of wires are gonna get crossed in those brains that day. <laughs> cause it did, I mean, I remember the marketing, and I remember going like, this looks like a kid's film, but it's rated R, so I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh... I did not know it was rated R. Oh, I, is it PG? It might be PG thirteen. Yeah, I, I thought it got weird. whittled down a little bit. Okay, no, it's PG thirteen. All right, um, but still, like you know, what year is this? Two thousand one. I'm not really allowed to watch PG thirteen movies. No, so here's the thing. I remember being really excited because I had just gotten into the Mummy. Right, Brendan mm-hmm. Fraser's my boy. Brendan Fraser. Oh yeah, it is all of our boy now. Yeah, uh, but it is it is weird to think about how omnipresent Brendan Fraser was for a bit. Yeah. Like, that, like, the joke in a movie about Hollywood would be like, we tried to get Brendan Fraser, but he was busy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that was it for a little bit. Yeah, or, like, the joke in uh, Looney Tunes Back in Action. He's like, oh, I did all the stunts in those mummy movies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's fucking hilarious. And it's, you know, we've, we've come to find out, like, a lot of why his career, like, suddenly just stopped. Yeah. Which is really, really a shame. Bullshit. Uh, yeah, really awful Hollywood shit. But it is so weird that, like, for that, 99 to, like, 2003, he was fucking everywhere. Right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's kind of crazy to think about. Um, I don't know, it's just, I'm thinking about it now, it's just wild. <laughs> yeah. A better time, perhaps. Maybe. Two thousand. A lot of Never those. Mind, forgot. A lot of those movies don't hold up. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, don't tread on our classic American Pie trilogy. Like I said, <laughs> a lot of those movies don't hold up. But I was more talking about like Brendan Fraser's filmography. Like we all love the Mummy. Like the Mummy's great. Uh, the Mummy Returns is like shockingly bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a shocking step down. It, but it's got a killer Alan Silvestri score. I was just listening to it again. Well, yeah, I, but I don't I mean, remember that... why that came mm-hmm. up in my brain, but I was, and it, it's a good score. I'll go to bat for that. Um, but that was back in the day when, like, when a sequel got, like, plussed up with the budget, like, a lot of it would be, like, just throw it at the score. <laughs> like, yeah. a lot of sequels inexplicably have great scores. Um, like, fucking Bedazzled. Do you remember Bedazzled? I do. I own that the on DVD. Harold Ramis movie. Harold Ramis directed that? Yeah, it's a remake. Oh, I know that, yeah. I never yeah. saw the original. Am I missing out? Um, it's Okay. Okay. Uh, it's it's kind of like I think the bedazzled thing has been done so many times, and a lot of people are just into it because Raquel Welch shows up in it mm. <laughs> and is like super sexy. Um, but <laughs> hey, uh, that was the '60s. But I mean, um, you know, Elizabeth Hurley's in the new one, so yeah. Well, she plays the devil in the new one. I I'm it, familiar. It honestly feels like it should be sexier than it ends up being. No, that's true. It's, that's that's on the direction. R.I.P. Harold Ramis. It feels like they were like fucking slam dunk with that, and then the movie was kind of like, eh. <laughs> um, but uh, Dudley Do Right, the Dudley Do Right movie. Um, did you ever see that? I did not. In that weird era where it's like, let's take everything from the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and try to make a movie out of it. Because, <laughs> like, that and, like, Rocky and Bullwinkle's, like, the next year. Um, Alvaro Molina played Snidely Whiplash <laughs> in a truly committed performance. He is always committed. Yes. You know who also is 100% committed is fucking Brendan Frazier. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he did... He, he a hundred percent could have phoned it in for Monkey Bone. Mm-hmm. He really could have, and he didn't. And he's there for it. And uh, God bless him. Yeah, no, he he's given um, like a real like empathetic performance in this. Yes, Where he's kind of just trudging through life the first quarter of the film. But and he also, just, like, even his body language is like it was really impressive. When he gets to wild out, when he's possessed by Monkey Bone, he's also, like, 100% committed to that as well. Yeah, and not in a way, like, it's over the top, but not in a way that's, like, inauthentic, mm-hmm. you know? Like, some, like, think of, that's just a stab in the dark here, Jared Leto's Joker, you know? <laughs> and it's, like, whoa, so wacky and crazy, you know? It, it's, it's on talk shows saying, like, you know, if the Joker was here, he'd slit your throat and laugh about it. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Uh, I loved you in House of Gucci. Go to prison now. I like how he's like, I locked myself in a room to get to the heart of the Joker. He thinks murder is funny. <laughs> like, yeah, I watched the cartoon when I was a kid. I picked up on that. Like, yeah, you know what? Don't watch his Joker and Suicide Squad. Just watch House of Gucci and be yeah. like, where did this come from? And you're like, oh, Ridley Scott is a good director and can guide acting, even from bad people. You're gonna use House of Gucci as an example that really Scott's a good director. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's not it's not great. It's pretty good. It's a wild movie. It's just the performances are really entertaining. Yeah, I got I got some issues with his actual direction in that movie, but the performances are like I guess his energy was just sapped by the performances. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe his energy went to the last duel, which is like fucking amazing. But yeah, a movie that I like, I loved, but also like can't recommend to anyone yeah 
I'm like, oh, do you want to see this movie? It's the last duel. It's like a medieval night film, and then you know you don't need to see it. <laughs> uh, let's see what else did Brendan Fraser do for a while there? Because the mid two thousands, all right, he's in Crash, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, he disappears, and then like there's like a bit of a surprise when he uh, he pops up in Journey to the Center of the Earth mm-hmm. in uh, two thousand eight. Like, That's right. A weird weird gap. And then they also tried to bring the mummy back. That's weird. Two thousand eight is this weird like, uh, like last hurrah, where it's Journey to the Center of the Earth, the Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which is actually like an okay movie. Um, do you like it more than the second one? I do, but I really hate that second I, one. I kind of, I kind of admire it more than the second one too. Yeah, don't, don't I tell anyone. Well, here's the thing: the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor comes with a really good idea of just like let's just get different mummies from around the world for each movie. Yeah, no, that movie. Speaking of things that should have been a slam dunk, mm. should have been a slam dunk. Yeah, but it's fucking I don't know directed why. by Rob Cohen, mm-hmm. who should also be in prison. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, I forget Rob Cohen takes over that one. I forgot that's what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then what's her name's not in it either. Yeah, so those um, two things that kind of kneecap it. Yeah, but the idea of like that. different mummies from different like cultures is is a really good one. Yeah, like an, like an Aztec mummy totally would be the next one. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the end credit thing. Do you remember that? It's like the end. Oh, of, like, I, I haven't. You know what? I haven't seen it like since it came out. Okay, so. yeah. Jonathan, like after like the big like hurrah, the end party, all the, the family and friends are together. Jonathan heads into a taxi. He's like, "Oh, I'm leaving to a place that I know for a fact has no mummies whatsoever." And then, like, the end title card is, like, mummies were eventually discovered. And, like, oh, that's pretty funny. I think it was, like, uh, I don't even remember. Peru. That's pretty Something funny. Like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a weird... And you know what? It says a lot about Brendan Fraser's star power that when they finally did do The Mummy with Tom Cruise, there were a lot of people being like, where's Brendan Fraser? Yeah. Like, people like, why didn't you do another one with him? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think Universal really underestimated the staying power of those films. Totally. And now it's just, like, buckled. You know? Yeah. Yeah, they fucked it. They, like, I think it totally pivot back, though. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, like, you know what else that reminds me of is, like, I mean, different because fictional character, but, like, uh, when they announced Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds, people were like, whoa, are they whitewashing oh, yeah. Green Lantern? And it's yeah. like, no, but, yeah, the John Stewart Green Lantern is, like, the lantern of our generation, basically, because of the cartoon. Yeah. And those older executives had no grasp of like pop culture the way that some do now now they misuse that knowledge of course for their own capital gain Mm -hmm. uh and to like shortcut shit but it's a very it's a very weird different time within the studio system it's the it's the kind of weird time that brings us monkey bone Mm -hmm. frankly i don't know what results in monkey bone a lot Um, of i was gonna bring up inkheart remember inkheart i never saw it um, but I do I, remember Brendan Fraser on the poster, and yeah, it, it can't say it. also 2008. Yeah, yeah. So know, like I, I said, I, you had like a, you had three movies in a row, and uh, Inkheart I saw in theaters have zero memory of. Oh. He has a cameo as Lieutenant Stone in GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra. You know why, right? Uh, why? I don't actually know. I don't uh, know anything Stephen about Summers. That. Oh yeah, he all right, yeah. all right. I forget where the fuck is Stephen Summers. I don't know. Like he just disappeared. I know, I know. Like, Odd Thomas was, like, the last movie he did, and that movie sat on a shelf for, like, two years. I've had people go to bat for that movie. I haven't seen it. Um, I know enough about the Odd Thomas books that I'm like, I don't ever need to see that. Okay, okay. So, 
but maybe it's all right. You know what? I kind of like the Van Helsing movie he did, and that's like a bad movie. (laughs) I love Van Helsing. I don't know if I love it, but it is... Uh, like it's it's very close to being like a schlock masterpiece. It it totally in a, in, is. It is so way. much a, fucking fun. Mm. I I have a blast with it. And you he know inexplicably what? like they're like, well, we gotta have an action scene in the opening of this movie. And it's like because we have to set up Van Helsing, and it's like okay, he's gonna fight Mister Hyde at Notre Dame. Like <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But all right. Like, I know, wouldn't it wouldn't it have made more sense for it to be the hunchback? Yeah, like <laughs> it feels like you know what? I, here's what I'm betting happen happen. Pe- this is a hundred percent what happened. That it was gonna be the hunchback, but then someone at Universal was like, eh, "We can't do that." Like hunchback might be offensive to it. Like which no one would care about the fucking hunchback in Notre Dame, you know? Mm-hmm. Like no one's gonna complain. And then I was like, "Ah, put Mister Hyde in." <laughs> like, <laughs> You know what those the like the the sexy vampire ladies in that like when they turn into vampire demons, those things hung over the uh, the horror makeup show at Universal in Florida for like over a decade after that movie was released. They knew like, what they had. Yeah, it was well that that show, which I didn't I didn't get to do it the last time I was there, but they were so in on Van Helsing, and this is like. Well after it was clear, Van Helsing had bombed and was like not gonna not gonna be there weren't gonna be sequels. <laughs> like it was very clear that that's what had happened, and for whatever reason that show was like, now nah, look, here's all the props from Van Helsing. Well, this is a this is something I could pivot back into Monkey Bone too. The sets and the designs of Van Helsing are fucking fantastic. Yeah, stuff that like it's one of those things where it's like so depressing how it would just never happen today. Like, that they just wouldn't build these type of sets. Yeah, like, even if you don't like Van Helsing the movie, like, it looks unbelievable. Like, Mm. the scale is just incredible. Now, you might question why is the Van Helsing movie, like, doing this stuff, but it it looks unbelievable. It it looks like one of the biggest movies ever made. And at the time, I believe it was. Uh, Was Monkey Bone one of the biggest movies ever made? No. No, it was not. But it was, uh, it, it was kind of a... How do I put this? It it was a long shot. That's what I will say. I think it's filled with interesting designs, uh, fantastically weird concepts. I think the stop motion like mixture with live action actually is pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, like Monkey Bone is like slapping Brendan Fraser on the head and stuff like that, and I'm like, that looks pretty good. Like it doesn't look like jittery or something like that, which is what I would expect and be okay with. Like in a marriage of the two mediums, but yeah, no, I thought it looked pretty good. And there's sometimes really simple effects, like there's the bull at the bar, mm-hmm. um, who who I did not realize was Martin Starr. <laughs> um, but then once once I realized, I was like, oh yeah, that's 100 percent his voice. Um, where like they just put like a prosthetic head on him that like had no articulation, and then they just kind of barely moved it with CGI later. Mm-hmm. And you can totally see it, but it works. You know, there's like a lot of really simple tricks here. Honestly, here's something: commentary, a hundred percent worth worth listening to, just to hear, kind of like the practicalities of making a movie like this. You know, there's yeah. a lot of talk like that on the commentary. Um, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the movie's bad. I'm sorry, like. 
I want to like it. I really do. It never... I gotta say, I, Roger Ebert gave this a negative review. I want to see how many stars... Roger Ebert gave one and a half stars. <laughs> okay. and, and here's something. He isn't, like, vicious in his... I, re- I recommend reading this review. He's not vicious in it. He's actually, like, really complimentary to the film. And he's just like... He's, here's the quote. He says, um, The movie labors hard. The special effects are admirable. No expense has been spared, and yet the movie never takes off. It's a bright idea the filmmakers were unable to breathe life into. And I'm kind of, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, me too. It just, it, it like, it never gets there. And it's such a shame, because there is so much effort on display. Yeah, um, is it, I mean, I know, I know this movie had, like, a rough production, like we're gonna talk about, but... Is some of it just, like, Henry Selleck not being able to fully adapt to live action, maybe? Um, some of it might be that. I think he does okay. I think he does a fine job. You know, like, the direction in here isn't, like, spectacular, but it's also not, like... I'm not sitting here going, like, why is this so flat-looking for such a wacky scene, mm-hmm. you know? But he is kind of maximizing everything, because he's an animator, you know? Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. he thinks, and... It, it can be a little overwhelming when you're like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of that in this movie where I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at or what I'm supposed to be feeling. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of like weird fantasy concepts in here. You know, they do the coma thing. Um, but it's also like, no, 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 the coma stuff still going to matter though. Like, yeah, they make it explicit even from the get go. It's like, no, 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 this is, this is important. It's not just like it was all and in there's his head. Like, layers on top of layers of like what the fuck is happening here you know mm-hmm. like there's 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 too much story almost and i think some of that sam ham like according to the commentary like a lot of the ideas that like here's the thing i was like okay this feels cut down this feels like there's there was a lot lost in in some sort of translation so maybe that's what happened and then I listen to the commentary and henry Stokes like this idea, I wasn't 100% sure on, but Sam Hamm was insistent we keep it in there. <laughs> and oh. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, man, the tone of this is all over the place. Like, it feels like they couldn't pick. Like, maybe in editing they tried to change the tone of it. Maybe it was like a darker film at a certain point. And then Henry Silk on the commentary is like, it was my idea to have the clashing tones. <laughs> oh, no. And then I'm like, the fuck, the fuck happened here? And then, I will say this, Henry Selleck 100% talks shit on uh, executive producer Chris Columbus. Hmm. But I wonder I, why. I can't for the life of me figure out exactly what the conflict was. Um, it seems like Chris Columbus just didn't understand what Henry Selleck was going for. Mm-hmm. And it's like, buddy, me too. But, uh... It's also, like, even if I'm in agreement that, like, I don't know what Henry Selk's going for, the last guy I'd want to try and solve that problem is Chris Columbus. Yeah. So, and I will say, Henry Selk's version of talking shit is being like, eh, you know, uh, uh, some of the executives didn't really understand this part, you know? So mm-hmm. we had to change it a little bit for them. And, uh, uh... Chris Columbus and I were kind of like oil and water. We just didn't have the same vision. Uh, it's a hundred percent that tone. He's not on there being like "fuck Chris Columbus." Like, he's just like, 
yeah, me and Chris, we just didn't agree on this, you know. He wanted it to be more this, I wanted it to be more that. And I'm like, alright. It's 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 honestly a really interesting commentary that it was even... I have no idea why there was a commentary for it and why there were so many special features on the DVD. I, I guess people were just like, maybe it'll be like Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, maybe it'll have a cult following once it hits video. Yeah, I mean, that and was like just, a monster hit. Yeah. Basically, right? Well, Nightmare for Christmas, I believe it makes money at... It, like, it does okay in theaters, right? It's just, like, monumental now. Yeah, and then, like, home video, it's huge, and, like, Disney basically kept afloat because of the merchandising from fucking Nightmare. And Nightmare is the, is the movie that lets Disney be like, see, we can be punk, too. Like, that's why there's Disney shit at Hot Topic. <laughs> Like, it's 100% Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I, it was weird. I was like, did, did Chris Columbus come here and try to turn this movie into, like, a dick and fart jokes, jokes movie? Was that, like, his goal? And it's like, no, Henry Selick seemed to like the fucking dick and fart jokes. Like, so I really don't know. I, I was baffled by this movie, and I came away more baffled. There are a lot of deleted scenes that it looks like Chris Columbus was like, edit this fucker down. And I, to take Henry Selleck's side, I think the movie would have been better with a lot of those deleted scenes still included. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it really does enough to fix it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a little long in the tooth already. Mm -hmm. But I do agree that there just needs to be more like context for a lot of the stuff here. Yeah. I, I need like a little... Not that there's no breathing room, it's, there's probably too much breathing room, but it'd feel better if there was just, like, more story to fill out the gaps, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also too much story. Maybe, like, but it's like, it, it feels like there's too much, but there's there's still so little actively, like, happening, you know? It's too much in all the wrong places. Like, it's so weird. It's such, this was such a beast of a movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And goddamn, I wanted to like it. You know, I, I, I swear to God, I went into this wanting to like it. And I don't even hate it. I was just more like, I came away with being like, I can't believe I watched a movie like that and came away feeling so little. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I think, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to dissuade people from checking it out. Not mm -hmm. just because Dan has a soft spot for it, but like, there's so much like artistic energy on display that I feel comes across as very flat, but I could tell people put a lot of like real hard work into this thing. There is an extended sequence of his arrival at Darktown that I think does a better job at like showcasing all this imagination. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's weird. I was like watching it and I was like, you, you I watched the the theatrical cut and it's like there are characters in the background. And I'm like. Why was so much imagination put into this guy who has no lines and is in the background? And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And then I watch the deleted scenes, and I'm like, oh, this guy had, like, a moment in the deleted scenes. And it just got cut for some reason. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so it's, what's the movie about? Uh, Monkey Bone is about a character named Stu Miley, who is... Uh, a cartoonist he draws a little comic book about a character named monkey bone uh has become like 
insanely popular. It's kind of for like reasons a, that are never justified or explained. No, it's just it's happened. They were it's starting just, the movie, and they because uh, this movie opens with a cartoon that if people were like skeptical about the movie going in, you're never recovering from this cartoon. No, it was. Like, I mean, this is the thing. I, I also wanted to like the movie. It's kind of repulsive at times. I, I don't is. hate it, but from the get-go, it's like wrong foot. Immediately wrong foot. Well, it was, it was also something where it's like, it was so repulsive in the opening. Like, that was kind of got me excited a little bit, you know? <laughs> of being like, because also, all right, I gotta say, what, when did you first see Monkey Bone? Uh, when we decided to do it for this podcast. Okay, so Monkey Bone, I did not see it. I saw previews for it. I saw it at Blockbuster all the time. Never watched it. I caught it on TV out of context a bunch of times, right? Mm-hmm. And in my head, I had just kind of justified that I must have seen the whole movie at some point. And it turns out I did, but in my mind, this movie was like this huge epic that like, because there's so many disparate sequences that I'm like, it, it, clearly this was some sort of epic adventure that was connected in some odd way, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, and then it was like, oh no, the movie is actually as scatterbrained as watching five minutes of it out of context on like the Sci-Fi Channel or something. Like, it, it's fucking wild. So when I sit down to watch it with kind of very little memory, other than I remember thinking the visuals were interesting. Um, that cartoon in the beginning is so like fucked up that like. A, it's like, well, I now I know why this movie bombed. B, it's impossible to believe an audience would respond positively to it at all. <laughs> like, what is this universe? Uh, remember how you said it might just be because of the Nightmare Before Christmas? Mm-hmm. Maybe that. <laughs> well, here, did Touchstone produce this? Did they? Who produced this shit? No, 20th Century Fox. Oh, okay. And it was it was 1492, which is Chris Columbus's production company. Maybe Chris Columbus believed in it at one point. I I I don't know. Chris Columbus is so fucking boring. Like I I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Because his movies are boring. So. I don't know what he responded to in the Sam Ham script. Well, hey, hey, hey uh, Chris Columbus has some good movies. Um, like what? Well, you know, Harry Potter and the the Sorcerer's Stone. Harry he, Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Look, Chris Columbus has plenty of serviceable movies. Movies that get the job done when you watch them. Right? No, those are about the two that I like. Yeah. I mean, Home Alone's fine, I guess. People are so fucking weird about those old nostalgic classes. It's like... Yeah. I don't... I don't care about Home Alone. Sorry. I can only... I can watch it... I can watch it at Christmas and enjoy it. Home Alone 2 is the one that's, like, truly terrible. Hmm. Oh, I have a soft spot for Mrs. Doubtfire, but... People love Adventures in Babysitting, which I have not uh, ever seen. It's probably like Revenge of the Nerds. People talk it up and you watch it and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with people? I think it's one of those like PG movies that is like inexplicably super dark, which mm. seemed to be the Chris Columbus thing for a little bit. Chris Columbus has a weird dark side that like never 
he never tapped into and then like by the time he's making movies he's like super just sentimental you know mm-hmm. um with like fucking bicentennial man oh my god remember bicentennial he fucking man? directed that movie yeah oh my god there was another poster that, like, I seem to see everywhere. Yeah, that shit was fucking all over the place. I didn't mm. see the Monkey Bone poster everywhere. I did see the commercials, and I was like, I want to see that. Um, my parents made the right choice <laughs> in not take. Not even because of, like, what I think of the quality. I think I would have had, like, nightmares of, like, a lot of the animation and, like, the weird creatures in the coma land. Mm-hmm. There's some, like, there's pigeons with, like, the human faces. That would have fucked me up. Yeah, there's some unpleasant stuff in this. Yeah. That would have ruined my life. Yeah, I don't know how I would have responded to fucking Monkey Bone. Um, Monkey Bone's literally a walking boner. Like, that's the gag. Yeah, I guess, okay, so let's actually talk about, like, the idea. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a movie about an artist who's unhappy with their work, their life, but they also are very happy with their girlfriend. They want to ask her to marry him. Uh, he gets to a coma on the night of this big event of, uh, regarding Monkey Bone that's going to, like, take the world by storm. He's going to get all these brand deals. He's going to get a TV show. It, it's, it's great. Everything's going great for him, but he's miserable. The, the the narrative outcome of the story, without giving everything away, is that he has to come to terms with horniness, I guess? Well, it's like, you know, like, the, a monkey kind of represents, like, an inner self at times, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the, like, like, the inner, like, version of herself that's just all sex, all, like, fucking fart, poop, and shit, right? Like... Mm-hmm. And that's like in mythology. That's like that. We we can trace that back to like mythology, and it's this. He's clearly a guy who's got like a lot of suppressed shit going on. Yeah. And, but he's not. He doesn't. What What is his problem at the start of the movie? He has no active problem. No, it's just kind of yeah. like oh. I'm just... His girlfriend loves him. So, like, even if this isn't, like, his true self, it's, like, which is a good conflict where it's, like, this woman loves you, but, like, it's not who you really are deep down, right? Yeah, and there's a moment later where the girlfriend character, I'm sorry, I I don't remember her name in the movie. Um, She has her friend helping, like, clean up his apartment or his place when uh, he's in a coma, and then they're looking at, like, the difference between his drawings. It's, like, monkey bone on one side, which is very, like abrasive, raunchy, uh, simplistic art. Not bad, obviously. I'm not degrading any of that. But, like, and then the other half of it is, like, this weird, fucked-up, surreal shit. And then he gets asked a question, like, oh, is it this, like, the same guy? You know, is it the same guy, basically? Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, there's an interesting conflict there. We're, like, 30 minutes in, into the movie when that happens. <laughs> yeah, I guess the problem is he ends up in a coma, like, five minutes into this movie. So we don't really know anything about him before the coma. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, he's clearly not happy with uh, the the monkey bone, like, becoming, like, this marketing thing, right? Like, that's kind of the stuff that's fun with, like, Dave Foley trying to, like, market the fucking shit out of monkey bone. Yeah. And, um, and, like, we make it very clear that, like, monkey bone is clearly some sort of, like, really personal thing he's trying to wrestle with, right? And he's watching mm-hmm. it being commercialized. 
which makes this movie um, in the same ballpark as Matrix Resurrections. How dare you? Another movie where a guy just got has to wake up. Oh, <laughs> Gotta uh, wake up. I'll say uh, I'm back from Comic Con and I got to watch Keanu Reeves uh, arrive on stage, which I did not know was going to happen, and mm-hmm. I was like less than twenty feet away from him. It was genuinely exhilarating. There you go, Keanu Reeves. Please be a good person. Yes, Keanu. <laughs> please, please let all the stories be true. Um, speaking of influences and things that are similar, here are a couple things that inspired the film. Uh, the film's plot is influenced by things like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which makes a lot of sense, Beetlejuice, which stylistically makes a lot of sense, and Ralph Boxy's Cool World, which is another film that went through like a production hell and is also basically truncated into a form that is not really worth recommending. Um, and it makes a lot of sense when I read isn't that. The cool central, world. Isn't the central conflict of Cool World is that you can't have sex with a cartoon? It's a little simplifying it, but yes. But that's what happens in that. Like, like if you have sex with a cartoon, that's bad. Yes. That, I that like was... Ralph Bakshi. He's weird, I, though. Yeah, Ralph Bakshi's insane. Yeah. Like, he's genuinely insane. And you can hear it in his voice how much cocaine he did. Yeah. So, <laughs> he's like Paul Schrader in that respect. Oh my god, uh, yeah. They, they both sound like fucking bulldogs when they talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um. Yeah, still. Um. All right. So here's something. So, I I watched Monkey Bone and I was kind of perplexed by the fucking thing. If I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I I knew that Dan Dougherty would be excited for this. Sorry. Uh. 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 I'm sorry to everyone. <laughs> no, well, here, here's something else. John Turturro voices Monkey Bone. Which is, you know what's weird? He never brings that up in the commentary. I can't remember a moment where he even says the name John Turturro. Maybe it wasn't his choice. I think the original choice was going to be Brendan Fraser was also going to voice Monkey Bone. See, that makes sense to me. And not, I think it just... Not to I, disregard anything of the great John Turturro. I think Henry Selick alludes to it just didn't work. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I watched the fucking movie, and I'm like, I'm, I need help. So, <laughs> I, I messaged Dan, and I was like, is there anything I need to know um, about Monkey Bone? And he sent my... He passed a message along to Meg, whose uh, name on... Uh, Twitter is Monkey Bone. Mm-hmm. I think Meg might be also be listening to this episode. So hello, Meg. Yeah, hi, Meg. Sorry, also. Um, and so the first response I got was, uh, "This was like this is like right after I watched the movie." Um, Don't skimp on the phone booth death scene debacle. And uh, I, I'm like. What phone booth death scene? <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and then I'm like, I must have missed something watching the movie. All right. 
Um, and then eventually it comes out like you should listen to the commentary, and I'm like, okay. So then we turn this whole fucking brouhaha of me getting this DVD, this goddamn DVD I spent three dollars on. Yeah, so now you, monkey bones Matt. on my shelf. Thank you. This is payback for you having to rent uh, North. You know what? That's fair. Um, I get the DVD. I watch it with commentary. Didn't get a whole lot out of the commentary track. And then I get to the end of it, and I'm like, I was specifically looking for a phone booth. There's no fucking phone booth in this movie. (laughs) What the fuck is going on? And I eventually figure out, oh, it's a deleted scene. And you can watch the deleted scene, which I watch. And it's it, so the deleted scene of the phone booth is basically so there's a scene where the monkey bone balloon explodes, right? Like it blows up in their car, which mm-hmm. is kind of a fun idea. Um, it 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 drives him and then he, he crashes. In the theatrical cut, he crashes and immediately he's in a coma, right? Yeah. In uh the movie version, in the deleted scene, I mean, they crash but they're fine. They get out of the car. They have a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, What's his fuck uh, comes over his guy who's trying to market Monkey Bone, and is like, "Oh man, you know the balloon actually saved your life when you think about it," which is a, a bit of a funny joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like trying to call people to like start start. He wants to, like right away wants to start making Monkey Bone airbags, and Brendan Fraser's like, "You're not calling nine one one, are you?" And he's like, no. And so Brendan Fraser's like, all right, I'll do it. And he goes over to this conveniently placed phone booth. They're in an alley. I don't know what a phone booth is doing there. Um, But a pipe they crashed into breaks off and lands directly on top of the phone booth. And that's how he ends up in a coma. Mm. So what's the debacle? I guess, so, alright, then I listen to it with commentary from Henry Selleck, right? Right. Because there's some of the deleted scenes have commentary for it. And Henry Selleck basically just describes the scene that happens. He's like, yeah, here's a longer version of the crash scene. And he's like, uh, Chris Columbus told us to cut it. And, oh, alright, look, Henry Selleck, I will agree, I think the version of the pole falling on them is better. It's less jarring, Right. Right. It's not significantly better. Um, I, I then I at this point I just straight up message Meg again, and I just go explain the phone booth debacle scene, please. <laughs> um, and Meg also describes explicitly what happens. Uh, and she says Columbus thought it was too gruesome, and. I guess this is, like, the scene that, like, it makes it very clear that Columbus kind of edited the shit out of the movie. And Meg is of the opinion that this movie was, at one point, possibly a dark comedy masterpiece, and that Columbus came in and kind of took all the darkness out of it. Which I would agree. I think Columbus did come in and take the darkness out of it. But looking at the deleted scenes, I don't think anything in there makes the movie better. (laughs) That's just my opinion. Um, I think the movie isn't in the vibe of it. I think it's all story that is the problem. And nowhere, anywhere did I find any explanation as to like where the story lost fucking control. You know? Mm-hmm. There are some hints that there was some stuff that was just in the script 
that was never shot that I think would have made the movie better. But as far as I can tell, a lot of that stuff wasn't even filmed. But even then, there wasn't enough there for me to be like, okay, I can see this. Yeah, I, from my perspective, at only seeing the theatrical version of the film, I can see like the nuggets of interesting ideas and like the idea that you have to come to terms with yourself and like all of you that entails. Yeah, we didn't even come to we didn't even come to terms with what the fuck that's even supposed to mean. Yeah, like, but that singular idea is what a lot of stories are ultimately about, right? Mm-hmm. It's like about like who am I, you know? Yeah, and there's. There's a lot of potential for that idea to be filled with, like, a wacky narrative with, like, insanely stylistic visuals and, and production set pieces. And I that's what bums me out about this not working for me, is that, like, I should be kind of in the bag for shit like this. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't really get anything out of it. Yeah. I also just have questions and I mostly I, just I got the, the, the fart movie. jokes and like repulsive yeah. and I'm not usually a guy that even hates fart jokes. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really like them often. But... There's a weird moment in the commentary where Henry Selleck's like Henry Selleck goes in on the critics who didn't like the movie. Mm. And Henry Selleck again going in is like, you know, some critics didn't like the movie and I have to disagree. Like he's very mellow. <laughs> like <laughs> um and he was like, people complained about the fart jokes in the movie. And he's like, hey, man, there's only like four fart jokes in this thing. But they go on and, forever. Well, here, here's it. The, a, they go on forever. And B, he's talking about it over a scene where the fucking monkey bone puppet farts like at least a dozen times. And I'm like, dude, like, what? Do you, what is your, how are you counting fart jokes here? <laughs> <laughs> um... This is... I can't even think of, like, the threads to, like, really... Like I said, like, there's a weird thing about, like, trying to come to terms with, like... He's like, am I this sensitive artist guy or am I this fucking perverted monkey man? You know? Mm-hmm. It's it's literally, like... like. I mean, it's explicitly the mind and, like, dick connection. You know? That's explicitly what this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's not even subtext. And... It's a movie that's like it, I, like fine, yeah. You're both, which is not a bad message, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, come to terms with both sides of yourself. Like, you can make both of them work. They're not at odds with each other. You're only making them at odds. That sort of at oddsness is an illusion, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think a single thing happens in the movie that like leads to that conclusion. <laughs> Does any like other than at the very end when like all the people in the cartoon everyone's taking off their human suits and their monkeys inside, right? Yeah. Like that was like the only moment I could really think of, or like you know. And here's something I didn't even put like I, I it was one of these movies where as I'm watching it, it's like leaving my brain, like it's not even staying in my brain. Um, I totally even missed the first pass around that like death played by Whoopi Goldberg just merges monkey bone and stew together which feels like i should have noticed that and i wasn't like distracted or anything i turn off all my devices when i sit down to watch a fucking movie and i I totally just like left my brain after watching and i'm like i guess that's what the movie was about (laughs) i yeah it's clear that that's supposed to be like the culmination of it Mm -hmm. 
And again, I was saying how much I like that idea. None of that is like really backed up by the actual like narrative yeah. like I, conflicts throughout the film that are peppered throughout the film. And I and guess also the movie was like daring me to like not try to like it too, because Monkey Bone as a character has no redeeming qualities, mm-hmm. which is almost kind of like you want to commend the movie for being that you know. Yeah. Like I want to like I really want to give this movie like credit for just being as daring as it is. It just never gets there, and. Monkey Bone has no redeeming qualities. There's nothing sympathetic about him. Mm-hmm. The closest we get is that he's he's a monkey. He's a horned up monkey with no dick. So maybe he's like frustrated, <laughs> like, and that's why he desperately wants a body. But yeah, it feels uh, like it wants to tackle some headier stuff regarding like human sexuality, passion, artistic endeavors. Like those are all valid things to it want to confront like in the story. Sam Ham, his scripts tend to be very bloated from what we've figured on this show. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he tends to be juggling a lot with like very little structure. Henry Silk has a great vision, but can't really bring any more structure to an already structuralist story. Right. Right. And then you have Chris Columbus in there trying to give structure to it, but the way he's doing it is, like, completely at odds with what the movie is. Yeah. You know? Like, Columbus is... It's almost like Columbus wants to end the movie with Monkey Bone dying. Like, (laughs) and he doesn't understand that the movie has to end with them coming together. And... It's... It's, like, the worst mix of, like, like, the three worst people made this movie in terms of being put together. You know? Yeah. Um, to go back to, like, the human sexuality thing, mm-hmm. have you seen Good Luck to to You, Leo Grand? It's that new movie with uh, uh, Emma Thompson. No, I've heard about it, though. Yeah, it's a small little it. movie. It's not, like, outstanding, but I, I admire it a lot. Uh, it's, it, it feels like one of those movies that could have been, like, a play adaptation. Uh-huh. Or, like, an, an adaptation of a play. Like, it's mostly like a hotel room like a cafe like single location stuff um and i found that film like the best parts of it like i think the writing's pretty good and i think the acting's really good but the best parts of it are like how open it is about like expressing and understanding like desire and like the even the desire to be desired, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, acceptance of, like, how everyone's, like, beautiful in their own way. Like, you don't need validation from someone else. Like, it's mm-hmm. nice, but, like, it, 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 there was a lot of, like, moving pieces in, like, the emotional components of that story. Mm-hmm. And the frustration I felt of Monkey Bones, like, lack of, not just, like, nuance in regards to, like, human sexuality, which is an insane thing I didn't expect to be talking about during Monkey Bone. <laughs> um, like, it... it just made me think about that movie because it was like again not like the best movie of the year or anything like that but it, it's just so like open and empathetic and even like sympathetic to like the desires of of human beings and like uh it, it was i recommend good luck to you leo grand is what i'm saying it's on hulu if you got it check it out if you're not interested it's fine but it it's it's remarkably sex positive in a way that's not just like patting itself on the back i guess yeah which is a big problem with trying to tell a narrative like that you know? yeah yeah and i almost want to like monkey bone just being like we're gonna get into it and we're gonna show like the disgusting side of like 
sexuality and like the the human drive for shit you know Mm -hmm. like i i almost want to be like it understands like the double-edged sword of it but i think you i think you did hit on something where there is kind of like a lack of empathy going on here Mm-hmm. And not in a, like, I don't think this is, like, a mean-spirited movie or that Henry Selleck is, like, a horrible person. And I don't, like, it's just, we we don't really get an inner life for anyone in a movie that takes place in mostly inside someone's mind. Yeah, that should be, like, the narrative shortcut to getting that. And yeah. it's not. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. It's like, this is a movie... And I just have to assume maybe it all got lost in, like, the editing down of the Darktown stuff where, like, the executives just got too freaked out by how it looked, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's where it really lost it. Because I will say, Henry Silk talks a lot about, like, what the ideas were for Darktown. Or Downtown. The comic is Darktown. Um, but uh, he mentions that uh, the creatures that we run into in Downtown are like represent represent like mythical gods and monsters and he said old and new and then like old were going to be like classic like medusa straight up shows up in this right mm-hmm. like there's a bee woman there's cat people like this stuff goes back to mythology right yeah it's all over the- but he's also said the new for him and this was like an interesting idea that like is never p- fucking present <laughs> um the- is that like a lot of the new monsters were going to be at like references to advertising and he doesn't go too into it but it's like he was hinting at the idea being that like our modern gods are like the like advertising mascots and like that's the form a lot of like these classical monsters have taken on and that they would go to these like nightmare theaters where like nightmares would be projected and the nightmares would like turn them would like help like pump them up and reveal them to be like the deep, like the monsters they are at their core, but then once the nightmare's over, they just deflate back to like the goofy caricatures they are, you know. Mm-hmm. And that ties into the whole like weird like monkey bone is like being turned into this weird marketing tool of just like we're making monkey bone toys and monkey bone things. We're doing a tie-in with this fucking burger company that like they're fighting pig guts and the fucking burgers, like <laughs> which is a whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> and um. But, it like, I just have to assume all of that got lost at some point. And uh, even that, like, that's all interesting and maybe would have saved this movie for me to give, like, a uh, like moderate recommendation. But I don't think the stew-monkey-bone relationship ever really works. And then on top of that, what works even less is the stew-Bridget-Fonda relationship. Oh, uh, yeah... Which feels like it should be the fucking heart of the movie. I know, and it's like she's kind of just like she's just there and is like helping. to fawn over him. Yeah, and what's weird is like when he turns in when he's possessed monkey bone, she's like freaked out by it, but like still sticks with him, you know. Mm-hmm. Which makes her the most loyal woman on earth. <laughs> and then she's like, "All right, I don't know what's going on with the man I love. He's clearly been changed by the accident he's in, but I love him enough that I will stick with this new version of him." And then it's like, what's the conflict here? What does he have to solve about himself? Like, why Why did he even need to go to downtown? Like, I, I don't know. I really, I don't think we've been stumped by a movie like this in, I know, I in a so long time. I am so baffled by, like, what are we doing? I don't get, and also, and then we go to, like, two realms. It's kind of the multiverse of madness thing where it's like we only go to two multiverses. <laughs> but, like, 
we only go to two realms, which are like this weird like realm of a coma, and then like death realm. <laughs> and it's like, what cosmos is this? Like, can't we at least get like a map that someone just points at and just goes, "You are here." <laughs> like, it's the fuck is this movie? Uh, I'm willing to bet those executives and Chris Columbus had the same questions, frankly, by the end yeah. of it. And they it, were just like, like said, you know what? Let's just pretend it's more family-friendly and make some money off of it. And Selleck goes in deep on being like, I believe in the artistic vision. I was This is the vision I was going for. He, he talks about every time he felt like they compromised on something, and he didn't. he clearly doesn't like it. And I'm on his side that a lot of the compromises are not good compromises, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, but I, I think he needed, he, he just, he needed a guiding hand that wasn't present. And what he did have were like scared executives and fucking Chris Columbus. And so I can't say like, I don't think I can put the blame on Chris Columbus for ruining the movie, but I can say like he was the exact wrong guy to try and guide them out of whatever fucking problem they were in. Um, and alright and so we just talked about how like Bridget Fonda has nothing to do the only character slightly more useless than her but at least she has some impact on the plot is Miss Kitty whose oh, deal God. I never figure out when yeah. watching it she's just kind of like a sexy cat lady yeah and it's like is at some point she's supposed to be like a femme fatale yeah or a feline fatale excuse me that's <laughs> 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 so funny uh, but it's just like strange and yeah. sure we've all seen pictures on the internet at this point of stuff like this but it's still it's weird to see it in a movie that's this old I guess well look look it's Rose McGowan in like 2001 like Rose McGowan's an attractive woman yeah right? yeah like and they just put cat ears on her like I don't like whatever like fine but it's just like so what is she well, she is the host for Brendan Fraser. But, like, why? Oh, uh, well, why not? And, it, like, you'd almost be like, maybe she's, like, a reflection of Bridget Fonda. <laughs> like, <laughs> that this is, like, like, fucking Brendan Fraser. All he's been waiting to do is tell fucking Bridget Fonda, be like, hey, maybe put some cat ears on one of these days, you know? <laughs> Spice things up a little bit. Like, maybe that's what's going on. But even that doesn't go anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I just I'm, and then at one point this kitty just like randomly gets violent and like kills that like rat guard. Oh whatever. yeah, remember that? Yeah. And uh, Henry Stokes on the commentary being like, "Yeah, this, the the studio found this a little jarring," and I'm like, "The fuck yeah, they did! I found it <laughs> jarring." Like the uh, what the old now the only thing I know about Miss Kitty is that she's a violent murderer. <laughs> Well, here, you know uh, what else is, like, really off-putting? So there's actually a lot of people in this movie. Yes. Uh, Megan Mullally, that's how I put it. Oh, yeah, who wants, it was the sister who wants to pull the plug. Yeah, like, that um, felt mean-spirited to me. Well, here's here's something really strange. So it's like, okay, like, he's got a terrible sister, so now we get this, like, brief window. Okay, maybe he had a terrible home life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's what's really going on here. Like, oh, like, that's so that... Now we're getting a window into Stu's, like, mental state. It's really subtle. Henry Selleck's a genius. Like, like it's like the one moment we get. Yeah. 
that something might be going on. She just wants to pull the plug. She's going to get the money. Um, the doctor's like, actually, it takes three months sometimes to wake up out of a coma, which isn't medically true, but whatever. <laughs> um, you can't even lay in a bed for two days without it royally fucking up your body. But uh, Henry Selleck on the commentary talks about, like, you know, she seems like she's doing this for really callous reasons, but there's actually backstory here where they made a pact that if either of them were in a situation like this, the other should pull the plug. And she's actually kind of doing it for sympathetic reasons. She's just eager to do it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, that that's in the movie. She explains yeah, but like, that. It's, but, like, what? No, it's still fucked up, and it's weird, and I just have more questions again. More yeah. questions. But it's in the movie. So, like, the fact that he felt the need to reiterate that, and he's like, no, 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 you guys don't understand. I, like, no, we understand. It's just fucking weird that <laughs> that's in the movie. And then her attitude's not reflective of that. She's yeah. giddy and she scampers off when the fiance re- or the potential fiance realizes what's happening. You know, like it, it's still fucked up, man. <laughs> By the way, I want you all to know if I'm ever if I'm ever in a coma, and someone tries to pull the plug early, kill them. <laughs> put them in a coma. But no, no murder. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Fine, coma. Coma. Yeah, knife for an eye, motherfucker. Yeah. Hammurabi. He had it right. Yeah, and then, that, that and works then, out well for everyone. And then if they have to pull the plug, then you pull the plug on the other person, too. Yes. There you go. Justice. Uh, yeah, Rose McGowan, Dave Foley, Whoopi Goldberg, Bob Odenkirk. As someone yes. who just started watching Better Call Saul, that mm-hmm. was a very pleasant surprise towards the end of this film. Mm-hmm. Weird situation. And, and this is like Mr. Show Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Too. Um, Shut up, honey. I have to live with this and you have to support me. <laughs> That's my favorite fucking clip right now. Um, Thomas Hayden Church is in this as Death's assistant. Um, apparently, he improvised a lot on set. And, he's, and I guess uh, Henry Selleck doesn't seem too thrilled about that. Oh. But... Uh, t- He's uncredited for some reason. Yeah, why? What is that? I have no idea. And Robert Wool is also in this. I missed him, honestly. He's also uncredited, so they're like the only two guys really uncredited in this movie. Mm. And I don't know why they're the two that are uncredited. Thomas St. Church wasn't like a name at the time where it could be like a... Oh, okay, he's doing an uncredited cameo. Like... <laughs> And he plays a significant role in the film. Um, oh my god. Hmm. Unfortunately, a genuinely terrible person is in this film. Hmm. I missed this. But Harry Knowles is apparently in this. Yes! I only noticed it on the uh, when I rewatched it for the commentary. Uh, that he's, sucks. He's, he has zero lines and is just looking out his window watering plants. And it's the scene where Chris Kattan is trying to get into the house and he's like, don't call the cops! And oh. I was like, that... And I was like, that guy looks like Harry Knowles. And then I looked it up and it was. Speaking of people in a coma, he should also be in one. Yeah, why couldn't that cart that ran him over have done that? Yeah. Why can't someone else run him over? Anyways. Uh, it's, uh, it's, whatever, he's in two seconds. This is the year, this is the time 
you could get away with a Harry Knowles cameo. Yeah, yeah. He was also in the faculty, and I love the faculty. So we did look. No one knew at the time. Yeah, yeah. I know. I Some know. people found out later and then didn't say anything. So yeah, that's we'll talk about that. But uh, hey, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a really oh. sad moment in the commentary where uh, um, this cop, the cop that's going to shoot the fucking helium-filled balloon. <laughs> That they're flying away on. Mm-hmm. Um, this cop is going to shoot. And I was like, stop. Harry's talking on the commentary. He's like, keep an eye out for this guy. Lou Romano. He's going to be big. And then I looked him up. And like the only thing he's done is like voice work. Aww. And he's like mostly like a behind the scenes guy. He works at Leica Animation now. I have a note about that. Not about that guy, but about Leica. So Henry Selick. I'm going to get back to shouting out at least one more member of the cast. But Henry Selick... Hasn't directed a lot of feature films or anything, right? He's got Nightmare Before Christmas, which many people think is like a masterwork. You know, I Mm -hmm. I love the film. I'd have to revisit it before I I decide any of that. Uh, James and the Giant Peach, which has its fan base, and I need to rewatch that one too. Coraline, which I do believe is a genuine masterpiece. Coraline's great. It's Uh, better than the book, actually, which uh, you don't say too often. Yeah, I just read the book for the first time this year. I, I like it. I, I still mm-hmm. like it quite a bit. But that movie is, is phenomenal. Uh, it put Leica on the map. Do you know what else he did for Leica? Hmm. There's a little short film. It's about ten minutes long. It's called Moon Girl. Yeah, I've seen Moon Girl. Moon Girl, yes. This is before they decided to stick to strictly stop-motion animation. Mm-hmm. This is the most horrifying short film I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. It's so fucking hideous. It is... It's actively visually repulsive. The actual story is kind of sweet, but it looks terrifying. The CG models and the animation mm. of the kids is just like... I mean, it's 2005. Yeah, like... yeah. So, like, it, it wasn't ready, but I'm kind of thankful that this is like... It looks a lot like Scary Godmother. Did you ever see Scary Godmother? No, the, but the, the title alone yeah. it kind of put me off to that right now. So. <laughs> but that has, that has a lot of that cheap CGI shit in it. Um, yeah. Also, Henry Selick, I he has a movie coming out. We'll talk about that in a second, actually. He's, he apparently like made a good chunk of another movie that is just sitting on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, what the, uh, the Shadow something. The Shadow King. Shadow and I think King. it was changed. Like, the name's been changed, like, six times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. And he was supposed to do the Graveyard book with Neil Gaiman, and then that fell through, and then Ron Howard was going to do it, and nothing has happened. Neil Gaiman yeah. having, like, a, a weird track record of, like, getting guys with, like, a great vision, and then them leaving, and then they bringing in someone with no vision. Hmm. So I don't know what that's about. I don't know. Um... But, uh, it's, alright, one thing that's weird is in the commentary I learned that Henry Selleck, I think, originally wanted to do this movie, there was going to be the live action component, but once you get to downtown, everyone, including Brendan Frazier, were going to be stop motion. That there was going to be, like, a clear cutoff point there. Um, and so, like, half the movie would be animated, and it was apparently Chris Columbus's idea to mix the two which is strange it just seemed that seems like needlessly complicated if the guy wanted to do it the other way yeah but what's even stranger is that that's 
the mixing of live action and stop motion was what Selleck wanted to do with James and the Giant Peach. He wanted James to remain live action and all the creatures to be stop motion. But that was par- was was switched around for cost reasons. So it's so weird that like the other he wanted to do the opposite for each movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed it was his idea. He credits Chris Columbus with that idea on the commentary and also doesn't seem happy about it. Mm. And he's like, it kind of changed uh, everything we were going for with the look of the movie. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> Alright, I would like to talk about the one sequence in this movie that truly worked for me. Okay. That I thought was top to bottom funny. It was dark. It was gross. It was mean-spirited. And it feels like the only time, like, whatever the fuck they were going for really came together. And I never thought I would say this. But the movie suddenly comes together the moment Chris Kattan shows up. <laughs> I loved that whole sequence. Like, like genuinely loved that sequence of an organ donor <laughs> being on the run from the doctors who want to get his organs. <laughs> and him running around with a broken neck, too, which is just, like, great physical acting. And this is probably the only movie that figured out how to use Chris Kattan correctly, which is just wild. Like... It made me realize, like, man, we were there could have been a good run in the early 2000s of Chris Kattan just doing dumb fucking, like, physical comedy like this. Yeah, I really like it, too. I wouldn't say love, but that ener- that sequence had energy. I and loved it. I, I, I really loved it. You know what it. else it reminded me of? Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange 2. <laughs> sure, there is that. No, and, the, yeah, no, no, the, no. The, the corpse reanimation. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm not saying that, but... Um, also, yeah, I like that whole thing, and it also helps that Bob Odenkirk is like the straight man and it, just chasing this fucking dead guy for his organs. <laughs> and uh, there's one line, I can't remember the line exactly, but he's on the phone, and he's like, no, no, we'll have him in a minute. Yes, the organs are fine. They're, they're working better than you'd expect them to, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is a really funny line. And that was, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm only praising Katan. I will say, basically every actor in this, it felt like they showed up to do their job. Yeah, no right? one's, like, bad in it, and if they're, like, weird bad, like, it's it's clearly not their fault. Like, Frasier, I, I didn't dislike any performance in this. Frazier's terrific. Like, I can't talk that enough. I can't say how, like, he's really funny. Even when he's monkey bone, he's, like, being, like, playing to the press. And he's like, this is my fridge where I get my food and other ideas. Like, <laughs> that's a really funny sequence. Like, those, that stuff in it, there are bursts. I don't want to, like, I, I sound like I'm coming across like I thought this movie was just top to bottom awful. It isn't. It's just a movie that never works. Like, there's a lot of, like, nuggets of good stuff in here. There's the visuals I really like. Abe Lincoln's head shows up for some reason. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm expecting a, an explanation for this on the commentary. And Henry Selk on the commentary is like, yeah, I don't know. It just Abe Lincoln's head made sense. He kind of represents freedom in our culture, you know? That's, like, his exact quote. Wow. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and also, like, he listed the people they, they tried to get initially for Monkey Bone to play the stew role. And it was, like, it was people like Nick Cage and, like, Ben Stiller. And, like, those choices would have fucked it up. It Like, Brandon Fraser was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just don't, I don't want to sound like I'm downplaying. Like there's like Brendan Fraser does a lot of great stuff in this. It's it's kind of all over the place is more of the problem. Um, but uh, the rewatch of this, even though it was with commentary, was a little strange for me because uh, on Sunday I saw Jordan Peele's new movie Nope, which Diego has not seen, so I can't actually say anything about the movie. Oh. Sorry, I tried. I tried. It's all right. It's all right. Um, but what the last thing I expected to happen? Oh shit! I knocked my mic over. Sorry. Um, the last thing I expected to happen in Jordan Peele's Nope was to get a very pointed Chris Kattan reference. What? Chris Kattan is mentioned by name in the movie Nope. I cannot tell you in what context, <laughs> but okay. everyone listening knows. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's not one of those like blinking you'll miss it type lines. It's in the movie, which gave a whole new context to Monkey Bone on rewatch. And I noticed a lot of parallels, <laughs> including what? in the climax. I what? wish I could explain it, but what? I can't. <laughs> my brain when, is leaking out of my ears right now. When you see Nope, before Chris Kattan even shows up, and I don't mean shows up, he's not in it. I want to stress that. They just mention, they just say Chris Kattan. But before that is even mentioned, you will notice the words monkey bone will pop into your brain. Everyone at home's laughing. <laughs> Everyone that has seen the movie, you editing this after you have seen Nope, I'm assuming, are laughing. Um, this is also funny considering Henry Silk's next, next project, which will be out in October, um, is a Key and Peel movie. <laughs> yes. Wendell and Wild. Which seems to be like one of those things that was made in like the, like the last moment before Jordan Peele was like, I'm only going to be a director from now on. Yeah, I'm uh, glad you brought up Wendell and Wild and Nope because I've been like devouring the Nope interviews with Jordan Peele. Because mm -hmm. uh, shocker, if you if you don't know, Matt and I are huge fans. Like many people are huge fans of him, uh, and and so I just love hearing him like talk about his process and his creative. And it's three for three, motherfuckers. It sounds like it. And here's the funny thing: I can't like solidify this take yet, but I remember you and I were very worried about the the tide turning on Jordan Peele. Nope is apparently so good, only people like Logan Paul are disliking it, which is yeah. very funny. And, like, everyone else is like, nope, we're done with the doubting, motherfuckers. He's here to stay, which is great. <laughs> but uh, in one of the interviews, I think, with Seth Meyers, they mentioned that, like, oh, Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya thanks him for, like, his Oscar win, basically, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. for getting him the, the, the shot to do that. And uh, one of the other cast members, I, I don't know, the, the newer guy, um mentioned like oh well he's he's an oscar winner too man jordan peele's an oscar winner and he's like no no not for acting though like my thespian days are behind me and i was like wait doesn't he have a movie coming out is he not in it anymore but no apparently uh jordan peele is still in wendell and wild and they probably just did the voice stuff like way before i think they did the voice stuff around the time they did keanu um that was like six fucking years ago yeah well that's how long it takes to get animation done yeah but like it's still a long time uh I believe the story with uh, with Jordan Peele in terms of acting 
was he he was on the he was almost cast in the emoji movie. Yes. As the poop emoji. And then he got a call from his agent that said he'd been replaced by Sir Patrick Stewart. And he was like, I don't need to do this anymore. Which <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh Yeah. Um I you know, I would like Jordan Peele to you know, if he, I, I wouldn't mind him still acting a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if he doesn't want to do it, whatever. Yeah, no, uh, he's busy making the most thought-provoking, like, uh, like audience-friendly horror films. Yeah. Since like fucking Jaws, I but guess, I, and I, Alien. I kind of just want to keep the acting door open because I love when a director is acting in someone else's movie. Yeah. I love that, and you know who loves casting directors? as actors in his movies. A couple people, but are you going to say Steven Spielberg? Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that him and Peele apparently have talked a few times. Really? Oh my yeah. God, those conversations must be incredible. I guess uh, the story I heard um, was... Hold on one second. Um, the story I heard was that like they, they talked after uh, Get Out had come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... He he Spielberg told uh Peel to stick with uh Michael Abels as his composer forever. Was mm. like, don't lose that guy. <laughs> like <laughs> and if the guy who worked with John Williams forever tells you that, you you should fucking listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah. Um that's hey, that's cool that Spielberg's still like keeping an eye out for fucking young talent. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I'll be honest, Nope is kind of a movie that maybe be like, Jordan Peele might not be the next, like, John Carpenter. He might actually be the next Spielberg. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, saddle him with that, but, like, I'm really excited for more Jordan Peele. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you uh, added that little asterisk, because it's like, I also want to say he's, he's like, uh, I, I don't know about the Spielberg thing yet, but I haven't seen Nope. Everyone's been referring to that label recently, which is very exciting. You know, I, you I know, will Carpenter say this. Carpenter was kind of the guy we were falling back on for referencing him, for sure. Yeah. And I, like I said. very fun. I just got to say, because that dude was on Twitter like, Oh, yeah. That is was... Jordan Peele the best horror director ever? He's got, that he's was hard to three. watch. That yeah, was and then everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Do you watch horror movies? He's like, well, you know, John Carpenter, he did Halloween. Everything else is kind of a cult thing. I'm not really a fan of it. Rotten Tomatoes would agree. And then Jordan Peele just hops in and be like, oh, my guy, get off the phone, please. <laughs> Stop. We're not doing Carpenter slander. And it's Can like, you imagine yeah. being like, has anyone else had a better run than Jordan Peele? And like Carpenter, literally from like Assault on Precinct 13 to They Live, has like the greatest run of a horror director. <laughs> ever. Like, <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. But, like, I'm hey. just glad John Carpenter doesn't care about that shit because, like, younger John Carpenter would have fucking gone in on that guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, he's fucking, he's in that interview, like, trash-talking Spielberg and, mm. like, all these fucking other people. And he's like, I don't care for them. No. He seems to trash-talk his peers, but I don't know if he'd go after a guy on Twitter ever. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He, he's been, like, since basically retiring, he, he's been mm-hmm. very open about, like, uh, uh, helping, not not actively helping, but, like, vocally supporting other young filmmakers and stuff like that. When he's at, mm-hmm. like, talks, I'm sure you can find these on, on YouTube, too. He's, like, at college talks, and, like, you know, he, everyone always asks, like, what's the best advice you have for 
um, aspiring filmmakers. He's like, fucking take out the aspiring. Like, you're doing it, you're doing it. Like, that's all it is. Like, just... He gives a good pep talk, is what I'm saying. Yes. I wonder if Henry Selleck would give a good pep talk. I've never heard him talk before. I, like I said, I honestly... The, the DVD I got was $3. Uh, it was worth it for the commentary. It's honestly like a very insightful commentary into the filmmaking process. It it offers very little insight into the actual film Monkey Moan. Mm. I will say, Meg and Dan seem to have figured something out from all this that I have no fucking idea. So, good for them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask them if they would like their Twitters promoted so people can listen to fans of monkey bone talk about monkey bone or have more insight into the actual monkey bone universe i guess i guess hey uh, yeah. uh i got one more thing to drop yes one more really fun fact so there's a weird sequence in this that doesn't make that i i've never understood uh where uh Stu, when monkey bone takes over his body uh he gets thrown into a prison and he's in a prison with a bunch of people that like if the goal is what is supposed to be going on. It doesn't make sense for this group of people to be there. Mm-hmm. It's like Jack the Ripper, who introduces himself as Jack, even though Jack the Ripper is literally just a name people gave an unidentified man. So it doesn't make any sense. Lizzie Borden, she murdered her family. Attila the Hun, Rasputin, Typhoid Mary, and Stephen King. And the unifying thing is supposed to be that these people cause nightmares. And literally the only one there I think you could make that argument for is Stephen King. Yeah. So, Stephen King was gonna play himself in this. And I'll give credit, I don't know who the actor is playing him, he does a fucking great Stephen King. Mm. Um, So Stephen King was gonna play himself, he was gung-ho to do it. Uh, But something happened two weeks before the movie started filming. Do you know what that is? I don't, actually. Stephen King got hit by a van. Oh, my God. <laughs> the famous story of Stephen King nearly getting killed by a fucking crazy guy driving to get Mars bars or some shit at a gas oh station. Oh, my God. Happened two weeks before Monkey Bone started filming. Wow. The universe had to stop him. Yeah, it saved him. It saved him. <laughs> I don't know world. about that. That's no, we're lucky to still have him. We're lucky. Yeah, he he describes that incident in his uh, in his memoir on writing, which is a really interesting book because it's like mostly a book about like writing advice, but he's it's also like the only time he's really gone in about like his life. Mm-hmm. And he it's like here's the stuff I can remember from my life. He describes like looking at his body and realizing like his legs are shifted over incorrectly after he's been hit and like he's also like there's a gap in memory here i'm walking over the hill next thing i remember is a van window coming directly at me and then i'm on the ground and he's like i don't remember anything else that happens between that so he got fucking hit hard by that van not to make a joke in bad taste on this podcast, but where the fuck was this guy in 2019? Hey. Yeah. Who who did we want to get hit by a van? Stephen King. Oh, what did he do? I get it, get him out of Chapter 2. Oh, alright. Yeah. Okay. I, that took a minute. No, sorry um, about that. I, I could have rephrased that. Do you see Whatever. how fucking frail King is, though? Like, King's fucking frail these days. Like, he can get hit by, like, a bicyclist and, like, he's gone. 
So, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe he's doomed to appear in bad adaptations of his work instead of the good ones. Also, if you want to know where this guy was um, in 2019, the driver of the car, he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. He died like a few years later after hitting King on Stephen King's birthday. No. Yes. No. Yes. That's kind of perfect. So, King also bought the uh, van um, and smashed it <laughs> with a hammer. Oh, was it like stop scalpers or something? He said it was partly it was to uh, stop it from ending up on eBay, and the other was just to take out his anger on it. You know what? So. Good for him. So. I feel like that's kind of the energy I want to have when I'm that age. Yes, King's an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, like, centrist lib, especially on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, but, like, as an artist, I'm, I'm such a big fan, you know? Yeah. He's, no. It's going to be sad when he's... It'll be a sad day when he leaves. Even, yeah. like, though I haven't read a Stephen King book, like, when it was new in, I think, over ten years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll, I still, like, check him out, and it's still, it'll be sad, even when his stuff isn't the best. Yeah, yeah. But... He's got a dark fantasy novel coming up called Fairy Tale. So Is it about fairy tales? I assume. Okay. Um, it's 608 pages long. How the fuck does this guy... Even now, like, he hasn't slowed down and he hasn't been doing cocaine for years. <laughs> like, how the fuck is he still writing these books? I don't know, but I, I fucking admire it because it's some fucking hard to write sometimes. Yeah. And, like... You know, uh, uh, I'm I'm writing screenplays. He's writing novels. Yeah. Not that one's more difficult than the other, but novels, there's no there's no similar spacing. They, that covers the entire page. And also, text. famously large novels. Novels so big, someone dropped one on their dog once and killed it. Is that real? That's, that's fucking sad. That's a story, apparently. Someone dropped a copy of It on their dog, I think, and killed it. Oh, that's real sad. My apologies yeah. to that person. Sorry to that man. Um, but, like, that's... Think about that. And he turns it out, like, once a year. Yeah, you know, that's on, crazy. On that level, you basically don't even have to make good stuff anymore as long as people buy it. And I'm not saying... His quality is dipped. I haven't read a Stephen King novel in a while either. But, like, good for him, you know? He's, uh... And, like, the average page count is, like, 400 pages. Like, that's crazy. That means he has to write more than one page, full page, a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and then sometimes I'm like, you know, let me write the... Yeah. <laughs> the... <laughs> And Not, sometimes I, that does help. Sometimes just writing a single sentence, I'm like, okay, and then, and then this, and then this, therefore this. If I lock myself in a room and tell myself to write a single page, I can do it, but it might take me all day. <laughs> like, I can do it, though. So. What uh, I started doing was stop giving myself and then that, counts. I would just be like, ah, oh, just write for 15 minutes. It always lasts longer than 15 minutes. And then that fucker Stephen King, he has the balls in his on-writing book. To be like, hey, if you can't find time to read, you shouldn't write. Like, you need to be able to find time to read if you want to be a writer. 
It's like, that's part of the job. And I'm like, how the fuck do you have time to read and write? <laughs> yeah, see, here's the thing. I think there was some discourse about this recently. Yeah, there was, yeah, some, something blew and, up about and that. And I would, I would kind of agree that, like, well, wouldn't you want to read more if you're going to write? Like, it's like watching movies. Like, if you want to make movies, don't you want to, like, watch them mm-hmm. to understand them? Uh, but it's not, like, a deal breaker for me either. Yeah. I definitely like doing it. But, yeah, the big question is, how, how does he have time for that? What the yeah. fuck? Does he sleep? I'm starting to Does think Stephen eat? King... Stephen King might actually have dark powers. Yeah, I mean, if the guy died in his fucking birthday. Yeah, the like, there's That's that, pretty... and he just he's still writing, and, like, he doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. <laughs> he lived long enough to live to see the reboot of all of his work. <laughs> yeah, wow. I didn't think about that. We've had, I've lived through, like, two Stephen King renaissances in my life, like... That's crazy. I wonder what Stephen King thinks of Monkey Bone. Um, he probably saw it. He used to run a column in Entertainment Weekly, uh, uh, where he would review movies, and he he did that classic thing of like he picked really silly. He would be he picked a lot of schlock at, at like his best of the year list, and it was a fascinating insight into. What Stephen King likes. Yeah. He'd be like, no country for old men, and also like this zombie movie that five people saw. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great column. I don't think he does it anymore, but I, I used to read it, and it was really, really entertaining. Maybe I'll track it down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, te- I'm gonna tweet him. Be like, what, what's your favorite movie of the year? I guess he's been feuding with the governor of Maine. Nice. Or at least former governor. Is he still governor? Uh, no, he he lost in 2019. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Guy accused King of not paying taxes, and King said that he was lying. <laughs> um, and said uh, he demanded that LePage man up and apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well... King called LePage a bigot, a homophobe, and a racist. Jesus Christ. Yeah. When King gets pissed, he gets fucking pissed. Yeah, that's what I kind of like about him. Um, it, the sad thing is, though, he is kind of, like, centrist. Like, I remember him being, like, when Bernie looked like he might win the primaries, like, he was like, look, I don't dislike Bernie, but, like, the last time we nominated a guy like that, it was Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, come on, man. Yeah, yeah, that, on, I hate man. that shit, too. Come on. But then he also had, has this fun trend of being, like, like watching like the the most random show so he'd like hype up the walking dead obviously yeah i think he's part of the reason stranger things took off because he tweeted very highly of it yeah i mean it is doing his stuff along with Spielberg. it's got it's the fucking stephen king font like yeah well it's the john carpenter font i thought it was the stephen king font no no it's it's carpenter it's carpenter or maybe it's a mix of both i don't know the theme is a ripoff of the only god forgives music it's it's Mm. like it's the the whole show is a smorgasbord just happens to be a really good one um, and then he also used to tweet about The Hundred, a oh, yeah. show he, I he, have talked very highly of. He loved The Hundred. He loved Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, he was in it. He was up, in an episode. Showed up on the yeah. show. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, Stephen King shows up in weird places. So, he should be an actor based on Creepshow. That performance <laughs> in Creepshow is amazing. Yeah, Creepshow, the movie that, I've seen. Yeah, you fuck. How have you still not watched it? Well, you know. There is, like, a not, like, great with an asterisk, you know, fucking 
George A. Romero, Stephen King collaboration sitting out there for you to watch any fucking day now, and you just haven't gotten to it. All right, I'm going to watch Creepshow before Halloween. Watch it, like, tonight, motherfucker. I'm, I'm going to try to watch Nope tonight. So, All right. And you know what? Well, yeah, no. I will I will add the little bit at the end for us to talk about the the specific reference you wanted to bring up with Nope and Monkey Bone when we record next time. So I'll have context sure. for it, and I'll add it into the episode. I don't think I need to bring up anything. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. it's just me. Yeah, it's, it. it's literally just you. <laughs> Everyone's laughing at you right now. Okay, ne- never mind then. I will not be doing that, and then um, I'll report back later. Yeah, but you should watch Creep Show. And I was going to say, you know what this movie kind of reminded me of, and I only just thought of it because a review floated across my uh, letterbox hmm. page. Um, Tim and Eric's billion-dollar movie. I haven't seen that either. Did you ever see that? No. And I say this as, like, the biggest Tim and Eric fan. Like, that movie just doesn't work. Like, it's it's kind of a mess. But they're trying a lot. And so it's it's admirable in that way. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's kind of a mess. And I feel very similarly about Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie as I do about Monkey Bone. And I guess, you know what? I think I said the movie's bad. I don't even know if I want to say it. It's just a mess. Like... I honestly kind of, like, admire it, but it's not a movie I'm going to be revisiting or, like, referencing that much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... I I can't really recommend it. If you stumble upon it, it might not be the worst thing ever. Um, I I didn't like it at all. Let me see what people are saying on Letterboxd, other than Dan Doherty. It's, like, a lot of one-stars and... Is it? One and a half stars, yeah. See, I don't know if I'd go that. Like, I'm not like, this is, I'm not sitting here being like, this is fucking garbage, but. I'd probably do the Ebert one at, at one and a half stars. Yeah. I, you know what? No, I would give this movie three stars, but no like. Because I just admire a lot of what's going on in it, but I don't think any of it works. Mm. So. Um, Dan Doherty, whatever you see in this movie, uh, go write it. Because it'll be better. Don't give yeah. up on that fucking dream of being a fucking filmmaker. Yeah, Dan. Yeah. Get out what there. Gonna, what, are you going to be a fucking accountant or some shit? Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck we're not going to need accountants this. in the future. Yeah. When everything's owned by Amazon or the well, World Business Corporation. Well, we're in the Thunderdome. Monkey Bone could have been Monkey Bone. Thunderdome. Yeah. They would erase Monkey Bone. That's the thing. Whenever, like, these fascists take over, like, Monkey Bone gets erased for being too horny. Which, in that point, we have to defend it. Yeah. We have yeah. to take a fucking bullet for Monkey Bone. <laughs> <laughs> this is for you, Monkey Bone. This is for you, Monkey Bone. You start shredding on a guitar and the upside down. Oh, you haven't seen the fucking new season, huh? Uh, what? Of Stranger Things. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. <sighs> Fuck. I keep almost watching it. Whatever references, I didn't listen to what you were saying. Okay, so yeah, yeah, didn't spoil anything. But, uh... Uh, I keep almost watching it, and then I see that fucking pizza ad. For, where they're like, what if you ordered pizza with your mind? And I'm like, I don't need to watch this. <laughs> Look, you do. It's, if you liked most of Stranger Things, you're gonna like this one. But I didn't like most. I liked Stranger Things Season 1. And then I had, like... Every other season I've watched and been like, okay, I guess that's Stranger Things. 
No, no, season three was the fucking the shit. It was shit. better than two. Significantly better than two. But not like... I've seen people defend the second season a lot more lately, and I'm like, what's wrong with all of you? I think I'm having kind of like a similar, like, Marvel moment where I'm just like, they're all kind of of the same quality. Like... No, I would Stranger not agree Things with that. Stranger Things 1 was just good because it was new. I would not agree with that. My sister also like started Stranger Things 4 without me, and I, and she stopped talking about it. So, I don't know. Um, Alright, you're, you're, I think you're genuinely missing out now. Okay. Because I've enjoyed most of it, but this season kind of hit me. I was like, oh shit, I kind of love this show. Here's the real question. Um, would I get whatever is you think is in Stranger Things Season 4, would I get the same value out of watching a number of 80s movies that just equal the same amount of time as the full season? No. You don't think there's a there's a group of 80s films out there that are No, doing... I think the closest you're going to get is, like, there's very obvious Nightmare on Elm Street references here. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very clearly doing, like, Freddy Krueger upside down. And I'm like, yeah, all right, that's a good idea. And I, I think it, it came into its own this year in a way it hasn't really before. Where it's been consistently entertaining when it wasn't frustrating, season two. And... I got very emotionally fulfilled by this season, and I hadn't ever gotten that mm-hmm. before with this show. And That's you're not my just big takeaway. And you're not just saying that because the world is awful. The world is awful? That's unrelated to how much I loved this season. Okay. I think it is hands down at least the most like impressive I, I thought the long run times, because I know that's what everyone complains about, I thought it was going to be a problem. Apart from some table setting in the beginning of the season, I I thought it moved fucking wonderfully. I, I thought it was it was just a fantastic season of television. Alright. So. And I'm more concerned now for the last season, because I'm like, you better fucking stick that landing, because I'm going that hard on this year. So. Alright, well, here's what we're going to do, motherfucker. You're going to watch Creep Show. Okay. And then when you finish it, text me, and then I will start Stranger Things Season 4. That's fair. Okay. So, that's when it happens. You're going to fucking watch Creep Show. That's fair. Everyone listening, you got that? There's the there's the deal that was just made just now. Yeah. We'll see how long it takes for us to get to both. So. Alright, Monkey Bone, Matt. Monkey Bone! Would you recommend it still? Oh, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's so weird it's like not good but i'm also like as eh, kind of nothing else i can think of like it yeah yeah that's fair that's fair also it has been fun trying to google monkey bone and the first thing that comes up every time now is fucking monkey pox oh i know i know like, that's fucking upsetting yeah great great fucking world we live in great great fucking time we live in hell well, I think the Walt Disney Company owns Monkey Bone now. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. Good luck monetizing that one. Yeah, I think that might be why it's not on streaming, really. They're like, let's just hide this shit. Like, you have to rent it, but... Yeah, just fucking... Just hide they're still it still trying to make. They're still trying to make their money back. 
Because this movie inexplicably cost uh, $75 million. Well, here's the thing. And here's the thing. Even if I thought this was the most hateful movie ever made, like I still want people to have access to it, just because I believe all art should be like accessible. No, no, that's 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 what, yeah. uh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But uh, it's just wow, this movie bombed. Yeah. So uh, that's Monkey Bone. Yep. I like Henry Selleck a lot. Like uh, this is his only real misfire for me. Yeah, uh, Henry Selleck is terrific. I'm really excited for his upcoming film. Um, I hope he's got more in the tank, too. I know it's been difficult for him to get stuff off the ground, but um, I'll be there for whatever he does. So, yeah. Thumbs up. Henry Selleck. Really, Coraline's fucking incredible, though. Like, really. Coraline's great. Yeah, watch Coraline. Yeah. Uh, thing, if, you, if, there's a, if there is another Henry Selleck movie you haven't seen, watch that before Monkey Bone. But yeah, may, maybe Monkey not Bone Moon out. Girl. Or, you know, yeah. check it out anyways and just be like, oh, Diego wasn't fucking joking. This is the scariest shit I've ever seen. You know what? I didn't even really hate the look of Moon Girl. I, oh my god. I know, what? I know. What? I know. But, I don't know. There's something interesting about that weird CGI. I don't know. Finding those old YouTube shorts that were done on, C like, early CGI is fascinating. There's a whole, like, subset of, like, culture that was kind of lost just because of, like, the movement of time. Mm -hmm. That I, I find really fascinating. Well, you know, you know why all that culture was lost. Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One being YouTube moved away from that into like brands. Yeah, they, they well they they rejiggered the algorithm to stop really promoting short animated shorts, mm -hmm. and uh, basically killed a thriving animation community. Yeah, that worked independently from studios. But remember, there there were even like uh, like just even original like short film stuff like. Horror short films used to be so popular. I mean, they still are very popular on YouTube, but not to the extent where they were getting filmmaking deals for the people that made them. Uh -huh. That doesn't happen anymore. Lights Out, David Sandberg, David F. Sandberg, right? That's his name? Yeah. Shazam guy? Yeah, he got started because his Lights Out short was, like, received so, like, wonderfully. I bet you that's still happening somewhere, though. It, not not to the extent. There's, there's a couple... Twitter pals I, I know that are, that are doing some great, great short film work, and mm. it, it's not just them. I, I, I've heard it's it's quite difficult now. Studios aren't really well, looking think, at that. I think everything is really difficult right now, though. Yeah, that, that's yeah. probably true. <laughs> like, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but. Yeah, but horror is still the most accessible way to get into the industry, apparently, so if you got a horror short film idea... It's the only... Not original genre that they're giving money towards. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you want to tell a story that's not based on some bullshit, yeah. you know. Hey. Yeah. All right. Now, this is going to be a weird segue because the next couple episodes were recorded before this. Mm -hmm. So, next up on our listen is True Romance. Yeah. No, that's a lie. That's Remember? a lie, you fuck. Emperor of the North. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Almost fucked that up. And if I did just fuck that up and reverse that, uh, then it, then it is true romance. Whatever. Both those episodes are coming. Both those episodes are coming out. Both will be up on the Patreon by the time you listen to this. Um. So go. Yes. Go. Go, go now. The magic of fucking podcasting. Leave. <laughs> be gone. Matt, where can people find you? I'm at Emperor OTN One at Twitter.com. And you can find me at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you can get early access to the stuff we just mentioned, and then 
Honestly, probably a couple more things. We got Jupiter sent. Well, I'm not gonna list them off now. Uh, but we got we got some more in the tank, and then we'll be back next time with uh, what, what I just talked about. I'm sorry. I'm looking at like the the, the scheduling, and I'm like, why did I write it that way? Uh, so thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe if you didn't like anything here. Like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like. All right. Talk to you later. Bye bye. We've been right, professionally professional. Goodbye. Get the get the fuck out. Hey, goodbye, Go watch Jonathan. Nope. Goodbye, Jonathan Demi. Goodbye, <laughs> Judy Foster. <laughs> That's how we should end every episode. Still? Whoa, baby! This spring, if it screams, <laughs> if it swings, <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> Drinks for everybody! Monkey Bone. Hey. 20th Century Fox presents.